Welcome to The House Podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm just going to set up my fan. That's fantastic. See, it's not so hot in here. I don't know what you guys are worried about. You know, if it's not hot enough in here, then they use the smoke machine, you know, so that you, not only is it too hot to sit, now you can't even breathe in here. Um, Well, I have uh, such a simple talk to give you this morning. It's simple and it's short. In fact, it's so simple and it's so short that some of you are going to go get your offering back uh, at the end of the service because you just didn't get your money's worth. Um, I want to talk to you about a virtue that we all believe in. But so many of us are so busy. We're in the process of trying to be successful, trying to be significant, trying to survive that we've relegated this virtue to a Sunday school truth. We, we know we should, but we don't. And today I'm hoping to bring it right back to its rightful place, which is at the forefront of our lives. And that virtue is kindness. I wanna to talk to you about being generous with your kindness. The Apostle Paul said this, he's been be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. Be kind with each other. Be compassionate with each other. I, wanna, I want you to hear this story. I was responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town. I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or someone going off to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at the address, the building was dark except for a single light in the ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice, wait a short minute, and then leave. Too many bad possibilities awaited a driver who went up to a darkened building at 2.30 in the morning. I'd seen too many people trapped in a life of poverty who depended on the cab as their only means of transportation. Unless the situation had the smell of real danger, I always went to the door to find my my passenger. It might, I reason, be someone who needs my assistance. Would I not want a driver to go to my mom and dad's door if they called for a cab? And so I walked to the door and I knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear the sound of something being dragged across the floor. And after a long pause, the door opened. A small woman somewhere in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with veil pinned to it something you might see in a costume shop or a Goodwill store or a 1940s movie. And by her side was a a nylon suitcase. The sound had been her dragging it across the floor. 
The apartment looked as if no one lived there for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, nor knickknacks or utensils on the counters. But in the corner, there was a cardboard box filled with photos and jars. Would you carry my bag to the car, she said. I'd like a few minutes alone. And then if you could come back for me, because I'm not, not very strong. I took the suitcase to the cab and then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly to the curb. I took this. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It was nothing I told her. I just tried to treat all my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. Her praise and appreciation were almost embarrassing. When I got in the cab, she gave me an address. And then she asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror and her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor said I should go there because I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to go, I asked. And for the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me a building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where her and her husband lived when they were first married. She pulled up to the front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes we, we would slow in front of a particular building or a corner and she would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing. At first hint of the sun, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address that she had given to me. It was a low building like a small convalescent home with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as I pulled up. Without waiting for me, they opened the door and began assisting the woman. They were solicitous and intent. They opened the door and they helped her out. They must have been expecting her. Perhaps she phoned right before we left. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase up to the door and the woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked. Oh, oh, no, nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. Well, there are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent down and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said, thank you. I squeezed her hand once and then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, I could hear a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I did not pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. 
for the remainder of the day. I could hardly talk. How many other moments like that had I missed or failed to grasp? We're so conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. But great moments often catch us unaware. And when the woman hugged me and said I had brought her a moment of joy, it was possible to believe that I had been placed on the earth for the sole purpose of providing her with that last ride. I do not think I have ever done anything in my life more important. It's a beautiful story. And it's a story that illustrates how kindness sets us up to become life-giving agents. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said, be kind and compassionate with one another. See, God puts us in other people's lives, not so that we can get something from them or use them, but so that we can move them forward to what he has called them to be. And one of the ways that we do that is by being intentional about looking for beauty in every person that comes into your world. Because as human beings, we, 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 we have this thing in that we, 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 we always find what we're looking for. And if you're looking for something to criticize, you'll find it. And if you're looking for beauty, you'll find it. I learned this um, working in a high school for eight years. The first two months of being immersed into the, the culture of high school students was like baptism by fire. And I, I had basically in very short order, put all of the students into two categories. Girls are mean and guys are idiots. And that, that I, I could, and so that was my filter and I saw it everywhere I went. I saw it every day. I've spent a lot of time in the hallways and I saw it. And I realized that that's not a very honoring filter. And so I became intentional about looking for beauty looking for beauty in a grade 10 student that hasn't figured out yet, bathing helps. You know, acts can only do so much, you know. Um, and, and, and I would look for beauty in the students. I remember um, if, if I saw a student, now I'm looking for opportunities to see beauty. And if I'm walking down the hall and I saw a student who who gave it him, gave her their all, her all, or gave him his all in a game last night, I'd stop them and, and, and tell them I noticed that and I thought that was amazing. I'm so proud of them. If I saw a student who had um, been kind to another student, a student who had a good attitude, I, I, I saw a new haircut, I spoke to it and I affirmed them. And when I saw a student struggling, I spoke to that as well. How often did it happen where I see somebody who looks just a little bit down and I would say, are you okay? I've been thinking about you, you, don't, you look down. Instantly tears just begin to flow. The Bible says kind words are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Kind 
words nourish the human soul. In order for people to flourish, they have to be nourished. And we have the power to do that. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You have the power to nourish people you like and nourish people you don't. You see, your thoughts do not nourish anybody. Noticing something kind and good and beautiful about somebody does nothing for them. In fact, the light flow is stalled between your head and your mouth. Your thoughts don't nourish them, your words do. So many times it's our responsibility to call out the seeds of potential and the seeds of greatness in others because often if we don't do that, those seeds of greatness and potential don't come out. That is so true in my own life because it's really noisy up here. And I have way more critical voices in my head than I have affirming voices in my head. And when somebody comes along, I I have an uncle, my favorite uncle. And um, I just had so much failure in my uh, teens and my early 20s that, that that's all I could see. And one day we were walking from the church to the, my truck and he was going to his truck and he puts his arm around me and he encourages me and he thinks I'm gonna do something amazing with my life. In fact, he knows it. And he says, well, anyway, just thought I'd let you know. Have a good night, Ed. And I'm in my truck. He has no idea the gift he just gave me. Because if he thinks I could do something, and he's my favorite human being on the earth, he thinks I could do something great with my life. He must be right. And I'm telling you what, I went back to those words a thousand times. When my circumstances told me that I'm not going to be anything, when my circumstances told me I am the dumbest person in every room I walk into, I would always go to those words and there was still life on them. Ten years later, there was life in those words. Five years later. God wouldn't have put that person in your life. He wouldn't have put that thought in your head if that person didn't need to hear it. There's a story of a young boy who sits down at a cafe and the waitress comes up to him and she puts a glass of water in front of him. And he looks at the menu and then he looks up at the waitress and he, and he, and he says, I'm... How much is an ice cream sundae? And, and she looks down at him and says, that, that's a dollar. And he puts his hand in his pocket and he, he brings out his coin and he's turning them over and he's counting them. And then, then he looks up at her again and while um, she, she's noticing there are other people wanting, looking for tables and so she's getting a little impatient. And he said, how much is a plain bowl of ice cream? And she said, that's 75 cents. And then she watches him, him again. He's looking at his money and he's recounting all his pennies. And then, and then he says to her, he said, I'll, I'll have a plain bowl of ice cream, please. 
And she returns with a plain bowl of ice cream and, and a bill. And the little boy eats the ice cream and then he goes to pay the bill. When the waitress comes back to wipe down the table to make room for more customers, what, what, what she sees makes her swallow hard. Because beside the bowl of ice cream, there's a neatly placed quarter as a tip for her. I think we can learn so much from that boy. You see, there's a, there's a chemical that are in our bodies called oxytocin. Oxytocin is responsible for, for all the, 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 the warm, fuzzy, friendly feelings that we have. Oxytocin is, is what, 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 what produces those, those warm feelings that you have when, when you're with your friends, when with your family, when you're with your, your loved ones. That's oxytocin. Um, ox, a, a woman giving birth, her body is absolutely flooded with oxytocin for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that's a bonding agent it's with her newborn child. And when that boy chose to simply get a plain bowl of ice cream so he could leave a tip, oxytocin was released into his body. When the waitress came and saw that he had sacrificed an ice cream sundae for a plain bowl of ice cream just so that he could give her a tip, it, 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 oxytocin was released into her body. And there's several ways that oxytocin is released into our bodies. But one of the ways that is so important is it's through genuine acts of kindness. Because it feels good when you do something for somebody else. That's oxytocin. It feels good when somebody does something unexpectedly kind for you. That's oxytocin. And the more oxytocin you have in the body, the more generous you will be as a human being. God wired this way, us this way so we would look after each other. We're so fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you see how generous, genuine, tangible acts of kindness set in motion a chain reaction? It's, kindness spreads like, like a virus when, when you're good to others and that they become kinder to the people in their world. In this way, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give to another is generous amounts of kindness. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. You literally have the power to nourish another person's soul. You can leave them with an impression that 40 years later, they're telling somebody else about a word that you gave them, a kindness that you showed them. No matter how talented you are, no matter how rich or cool you think you are, how you treat others says everything that we need to know about you. You're defined by how you treat other people. What you are is more important than what you have. I love this verse in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourself with compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Man, who wouldn't want to hug somebody that is clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? That is a life-giving force right there. And so um, I'm going to pray in a couple seconds here. I'm going to ask you to consider a person that you bumped into this last week. A person that came into your life. They may be very familiar to you or not so familiar to you. Just try and find one person. If you meet that person again, what would kindness look like regarding them? Thinking back to that person, can you remember, did you see beauty in them? What would it look like for you to nourish their soul? Mother Teresa said we could do no great things, only small things with great love. Let's pray together. It's such a simple word. It's actually so easy to do. And yet we get so distracted in our lives that we forget to do it. So Father, help us to be life-giving agents. At the grocery store, at the gas station, in church, at work. Help us, Father, to be people that, that, that are authentic and yet generous with kindness. Help us to be people who look for beauty in each other. Help us to start in our own families to look for beauty in our, in our spouses, in our wives, in our husbands, in our children, in our brothers, in our sisters. If you can't find beauty in your own family, it's because you're not looking for it. And let us move then from that place out into the world that you've called us to. In Jesus' name.